Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hello and welcome to the Lightspeed Magazine Story Podcast. I am Jim Freund, your host. Lightspeed Magazine is edited by John Joseph Adams and our podcast is produced by Skyboat Media. This week's story is Giant Steps by Russell Nichols, narrated by Janina Edwards. It is copyright 2020. Russell Nichols is a speculative fiction writer and endangered journalist. Raised in Richmond, California, he gave up all his stuff and now lives out of a backpack with his wife, vagabonding around the world since 2011. Find his work in Fire, Apex Magazine, Terraform, Fireside Fiction, Strange Horizons, Lightspeed, and Nightmare Magazine's People of Color Destroy Horror Special Issue, and others. Look for him at russellnichols.com, that's R-U-S-S-E-L-L, N-I-C-H-O-L-S. So let's buckle up. We're going to light speed. Giant Steps by Russell Nichols Hear those engines roar, rumbling. Feel those fires burn, blasting off, blasting off, blasting off, blasting off. Step back. Hear those engines roar, rumbling, feel those fires burn. Bear the cross, bear the cross, bear the cross, bear the cross. The blue marble is shrinking as Orion too lifts off, ripping from the grasping tentacles of Earth's gravity. The world gets smaller, smaller, a blot on the cosmic sheet of infinite blackness, which closes in like a camera iris in a classic film's final shot. Picture the planet's surface, where the wonders of the old world buckle at the top of the hour under the weight of new wars, where down below all those little people fall to their knees, desperate voices crying, crying out to their deity du jour for deliverance. There is no answer. Prayers unheard, wishes ungranted, for they've made their bed and now liars must lie. But not Dr. Jenkins. Strapped in this single-person spacecraft, plugged into tubes for food, water, and waste, the 33-year-old astrophysicist from South Carolina, and soon-to-be first-ever human to step foot on Titan, never felt freer in her life. As the Richard Strauss tone poem, also Sprach Zarathustra, rises in her ears, like the sun in her eyes, Dr. Charlene Jenkins turns away from her home world, never minding who she left behind. A long ride ahead, five years, two months, give or take, with gravity assist from Venus and Jupiter flinging Orion II like a slingshot to the destination. She hates that word, destination. Too close to destiny, too far from reality. You can't defy you and I, baby. There's some destiny-level shit here. Dave used to say before he got clean, before Train was born, 
before Grandma passed. Was that destiny too? Or did Grandma refuse to take her medicine? It's choice, not chance, that defines who we are, where we end up, or down, or 1.2 billion kilometers away on Saturn's largest moon, which may or may not be inhabited by giants, depending on who you ask. I don't believe in giants, Dr. Jenkins was quoted as saying by the Honolulu Star Advertiser. Not giants, not the Nephilim, definitely not the Bandons Grandma used to tell stories about back in the day. No, she didn't believe in that nonsense. Not anymore. The same can't be said for the world at large, a lonely world of blind believers who see what they want to see. Take, for instance, the leaked images from NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, California, which captured the public imagination and common sense. Were these the lost 350 photographs from the Cassini-Huygens mission? The European Space Agency, on the record, said not a chance. But denial only added fuel to the viral wildfire as the mysterious pictures spread to all corners of the globe. What looked to be giant footprints on Titan, on the northwest shoreline of Ligia Mare, a hydrocarbon lake larger than Lake Superior. 24 prints total in a single file pattern, each one 60 centimeters long, 20 wide, 3 deep, according to various imaging teams. These footprints could have been impact craters, land erosion, shadows from methane clouds. But cold, hard facts don't solidify in the minds of the masses. Homo ignoramuses, sheep in people's clothing who'd rather believe in Goliath than science. People lie to themselves, she told the reporter, but not Dr. Jenkins. She quit playing those mind games long ago, smart enough to know the human brain looks for patterns, seeks them out religiously, to deny the claustrophobia of utter insignificance. But who wants to hear that? Definitely not the thousands of so-called printers who saw her quote online and flooded public eye feeds with their own from Genesis chapter 6, verse 4. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. Who shared links to news stories about massive footprints discovered in China, Bolivia, and South Africa? Who signed off messages with the sincerest of valedictions? Still don't believe in giants? Suck my giant dick. Stick to picking cotton, tar baby bitch. Die, space monkey. She's heard worse seen worse, reflected in the green eyes of strangers and co-workers, men and women, those who resent her for making rapid strides against all odds. Initiating hypersleep, says Rigel, Orion 2's sentient computer. Silent shaming rings the loudest. A look here, a look there, a look away. Ironed on, made in America smiles that say, you're not supposed to be here. Don't you go believe in all that she-she talk. She hears Grandma's words echoing now, like rolling thunder, as she drifts into hypersleep. The Lord got you here for a reason. She sees Grandma now, coming into focus, reclining on the porch of her saddleback house in Fairfield County, humming way beyond the moon with a pop-up choir of crickets. Grandma was what Southerners called a force of nature, Mythic in style and stature, with the head of a queen and heart of a bull, spilling stories for days. 
Dr. Charlene Jenkins, back when she was just Leany, was raised on these stories. Homegrown hand-me-downs from her great-grandmother and her great-grandmother, coming from the low country, namely St. Helena Island, a near casualty of climate change that became one of the first UNESCO bubble cities. Leany, come ya. Let me get them knockers out your head. Grandma would call out from her porch on those muggy summer days. Between Grandma's knees, Leany fidgeted, feeling those rough hands pulling her pigtails and stretching her kinky hair like she always did to train it against shrinkage. Grandma, could you tell me about the bandons again? If you keep still, Grandma said, bouncing her right leg, which used to be for dancing, but now had a strange habit of losing feeling. She was tired all the time, too. But she could talk from sunup to sundown about her kin, the Gullah Geechee people, descendants of enslaved Africans who survived and thrived for centuries on the sea islands of South Carolina and Georgia. How back in the day, after the praise meeting, they would gather round to take part in the legendary ring shout. A songster kicked things off, call and response style. A stick man played the beat, slow at first, then faster, faster, as the joyful congregation moved in a circle, hand clapping, feet tapping, shouting and shuffling, dancing on the devil till he begged for sweet mercy, Grandma would say. But every now and again, she said, looking around, then leaning forward to make sure no one else could hear, some sanctified body would step in that ring there, wailing, flailing, all furious-like, and lo and behold, that man, filled with the spirit, would up and start growing. Growing like a beanstalk? Leany asked every time. Chow, bigger than a beanstalk, bigger than anything in this whole world. Hold this. She handed Leany her blue knockers. Just kept growing and growing till they was big enough to reach for the clouds, then climb up to the sky and gone way. Gone where? Grandma lifted a hand to the heavens. Off into the big black yonder. Sitting there on the porch, Leany cupped the knockers in her palm. Staring into the little blue orb, she pictured a faraway world, a land of bandons, a place where she might, for once in her life, feel free and feel big and feel like she belongs, or find her mother. Put them knockers in the box before you lose them, Grandma said. She did as she was told and tucked her small world in a container with the other worlds. And it was these stories of free black giants that inspired Leany to learn all she could about the big black yonder. In the process, she learned a bigger truth. Grandma, too, was a liar. At the heart of every belief is a lie, a stretched truth, facts distorted like the space inside a wormhole, vows made to be broken, like when somebody promises to return and never does. This, she learned, was the real world, so she did what disillusioned optimists do. Leany grew up. Never again would she fall victim to faith, be betrayed by hope, or led astray by love. Which is why, outside the Mount Wilson Observatory, when Dave popped the question, she popped him on the head. What are you thinking? I'm thinking it's high time you and I settle down for real for real, do the family thing. Dave, I can't do that. I told you I don't want to be a wife. I don't want kids. What kind of woman don't want kids? My kind, she said, closing the ring box and the conversation. It wasn't him. Not all him. Somewhat him, but not all. 
He was a good man, not educated in the conventional sense, not extremely ambitious, but a laid-back, light-hearted type of man, the type who knew to ask how she wanted to be touched and where, and allowed himself to be shown. There he goes now, up on stage in the spotlight, wailing while she's down in the shadows clapping. But this is no ring shout. This was the night they met in New York, at some underground jazz club with Dave on the sax. She watched his cheeks puff up, a man possessed. And being a scientist in training, she wanted to test out a hypothesis, that a player who could maneuver his fingers and fix his lips to make that instrument scream could do the same to hers. No strings, just a release. She initiated. He obliged. For seven years, he obliged, tuning her body between the sheets. But as she moved up in status, he fell back on old habits. An old habit, like history, repeats itself. What goes around comes around like a satellite, a record, needles dropping, heroin and insulin, Dave and Grandma injecting and rejecting shots, respectively, two peas in the wrong pods, putting faith in false gods. Baby, that's all in the past, David told her the first week of his 12-step program. And by the sixth week, he figured he could replace his defunct jazz band with a wedding band. But what is marriage, if not another drug? A lifelong dependence on a man-made substance that ultimately leads to abuse. She'd heard that song time and time again. Lamentations of belittled women, givers of life beaten down, swallowed whole by the vacuum of the fragile male ego. Born to be brides, born again wives, ever shrinking women with self-deflating voices who were raised to submit from the Latin submitera, to yield, lower, let down, put under, reduce, to keep silent and to take up as little space as possible. But not Dr. Jenkins. She is not the one. She wouldn't follow in the fading footsteps of those who walk down the aisle and wind up getting walked over. Didn't matter how magical his fingers felt on the nape of her neck, how musical his lips felt massaging the length of her labia. She refused to sacrifice her identity on the altar of intimacy. She rejected a ring on her finger to see the rings of Saturn because life is too short to live in the land of make-believe. Wake up, Dr. Jenkins, Rigel says. And roused from hypersleep, she sees before her the ringed planet, grander and more glorious than she ever imagined, a swirling pastel ball with bands of clouds running around it. But how is this possible? Reading her confused expression, Rigel declares, We are now approaching Saturn. Destination, Titan. She unstraps herself. It is advised that you remain strapped in, Dr. Jenkins. No, something's not right here. Why does the computer show a flight time of only four years, one month, and 17 days? Is she seeing things? Rigel, she says, her voice like gravel. How long has it been since the launch? This is the 47th day of the fourth year, Rigel confirms. The Jupiter assist gave us a bigger boost then. Right then, an alarm goes off as the spacecraft's autopilot tries to maneuver through tiny particles running from or being sucked into the delicate, narrow outer band of Saturn's F-ring, herded by the shepherd moon Prometheus. Stray pieces batter the composite shell of Orion II like sleet, 
A change of course is advised, Rigel says. No, no, stay on current trajectory. Dr. Jenkins, at this rate, you won't be able to sustain... Stay on course, I said. Keeping her eyes dead ahead, the AR interface labels the various satellites in view, and right there, like a ripe Carolina peach bobbing in a deep, dark sea, the big, bright moon draws her nearer as the warning alarm keeps ringing in her ears. Giant steps, Dave shouted the day he saw the viral Titan photos. This was last fall in the living room of their downsized apartment in Berkeley. Dave was bouncing baby train on his right leg, a 12-month-old girl with curious wide brown eyes, as Dr. Jenkins stood over them, projecting a hologram of images from her palm tab. No, Dave, these, these aren't footprints, she sighed. I mean, they could be anything. Impact craters, land erosion, shadows from methane clouds. Nah, he said. You not hearing me. See this right here? Look at this. See that pattern? Yeah, I'd recognize those opening cords anywhere. That's train. He tickled the baby girl. That's you, huh? Huh, little star? Dr. Jenkins' new legendary jazz saxophonist John Coltrane was his idol, his influence, the namesake of their newborn, but he was taking this too far. Was he using again? Charlene. He set the girl down on the self-cleaning carpet. Don't look at me like that. I'm not looking at you like anything. He walked out, leaving Dr. Jenkins alone with the baby. She'd only held her a few times since giving birth. Now she watched the little girl lift herself to stand and start sort of walking, but she kept falling back then smirking up like she'd get in trouble for trying to defy gravity. Grandma wasn't walking either by then. She was on bed rest, post-amputation. The Lord ain't through with little old me, she proclaimed on more than one occasion. I'll be back on my feet in no time, you watch. Which Dr. Jenkins determined was a lie for three reasons. One, the Lord isn't real. Two, Grandma didn't have feet, plural. Diabetes hijacked her right foot. She had one left. Three, by the time she did leave that bed, she had to be carried out, never to tell a story again. Check this out here, Dave said, coming back into the living room with sheets of paper. You'll appreciate this. I'm finna blow your mind right here. You know what this is? Before she could answer, he explained, it was a diagram of Coltrane's tone circle, a variation of the classic circle of fifths with a pentagram and vanishing point in the middle. Been listening to these jazz and physics audiobooks, right? He said. And this Coltrane circle is drawing on the same geometric principles your boy Einstein was working with. Quantum theory, mathematics, relativity, all that heavy-duty scientific shit you went to school for. Dave, what does this have to do with anything? I'm saying it's all connected. Everything's connected. He set the palm tab next to the diagram on the legless levitable table and ran over to stop the little girl from climbing up the stairs. Train was out of this world. We know that. Straight up transcendent. But I always thought to myself, what if that cat was, you know, channeling, like possessed? She stifled a laugh to spare his feelings. You can't be serious. Why not, though? The way he improvised? Go listen to Ascension and Interstellar Space. Listen to Ohm and tell me I'm lying. He lifted the little girl's arms to help her walk. What if, tucked under those sheets of sound, Train was trying to tell us the truth? And what truth would that be, my dear? Aliens? 
Could be. Or a warning. Instructions on how to be free. Hell, I don't know, he said. You're the big bad scientist. Never copulate with a conspiracy theorist. An obscure scientific law she learned too late. She never told Dave about the bandons. The man believed everything he heard, never bothering to fact-check. In this day and age, you can't afford not to fact-check. Dr. Jenkins volunteered to fly 1.2 billion kilometers just to fact-check. Brace for impact, Rigel says. A massive chunk of ice comes out of nowhere, slamming into Orion II like a fist, knocking the craft off its trajectory. Dr. Jenkins, her heart pounding, looks around to find Titan. But the AR interface has shut off. Return to course, she commands. Shields down to 75%, Rigel says. Life support systems damaged. Return to course, return to course, go to Titan. Navigation offline. You ain't told him, Grandma asks from her hospital bed and soon-to-be deathbed. That man's the father of your child, for crying out loud. He didn't tell me he was planning to get hooked on smack. How come he gets to do what he wants, when he wants, and I can't? That's a cross you gots to bear. But that's not... Look, it was his idea. He wanted to have a baby. Now I need to do what I need to do for me. I don't want to be one of those kind of women. What women is that, huh? Never mind. Oh, no. No, don't get all hush mouth now. What kind of women? You don't want to be like me is what you're saying. Tell the truth. Shame the devil. Grandma, I have big dreams. And what? You think I didn't? You've lived in that same house since before I was born, weaving sweet grass biscuits, whipping up some frogmore stew, humming your spirituals. You always said you wanted to get out of Carolina and dance on a big stage. And you could have. You really could have. But you never did. And now you're refusing to get a bionic foot. First off, don't worry about my foot. And second, best believe I chose to be here. Everybody and their mama got to migrating up and over to the big cities, fooling themselves, thinking they could outrun racism. But I wasn't fixing to leave my people like that. No, ma'am, not me. I stayed my black behind right here so I could raise you. And this the thanks I get. Grandma... This isn't about you. This is about me. I want to explore. Glad to God. So what you think, you Neil Armstrong? Hopscotching around the heavens like ain't nothing better to do? You want to explore? Shh. How about you go explore being a mother? That's some uncharted territory for that ass. I'm not supposed to be here. Oh, I'm sorry. Are you the creator of the universe? Didn't think so. So who is you to say where you supposed to be, huh? Grandma sighs, then scoots over in bed and pats the mattress. Lenny, come here. Come sit. Dr. Jenkins shakes her head, staring at her single foot wiggling under the white sheets. Child, I know you scared, seeing me all shriveled up like this, with one foot literally in the grave, thinking about Dave and his crookedy self. You worried you'll be left to raise that child by your lonesome. I understand that. The only thing I'm scared of is looking back on my life and realizing I was too scared to live. You raised me, Grandma, by yourself. You're the one who taught me to think bigger. Bigger don't mean running from your motherly duties. I'm not running. I'm trying to grow. And as she said this, it dawned on her. Of the countless times Grandma sat on that porch, telling the story of the Bandons, 
She never ever described these free black giants as women. Lini never pictured them as women, never even thought to ask if any of them were women, the same way most people assume Dr. Jenkins is a man. I want to grow, Grandma, like the Bandons. Grandma shook her head, chuckling to herself. You so smart, huh? Like the Bandons. You even know why they was called Bandons? Silence. Dr. Jenkins never thought to ask that question either. Means abandon, Grandma said. As in, your mother abandoned you to quote-unquote find herself. And what happened? She fell off a cliff in them Himalayas. More silence. The space between them filled by the ever-expanding agony of unforgotten grief. Dr. Jenkins wanted to say something, something like, I'm not her, or she only went out there to escape from that monster she married. These words wouldn't matter to Grandma. Know what your problem is, Lenny? Got your head all swell up with facts and figures, only believing what you can see and prove. But child, she tapped her ear, you not listening. Listening to what? Grandma gestured as if to say, my point exactly and passed away three months later. Two months after that, Dr. Jenkins was boarding Orion too, not depressed or guilty or ambivalent like one might expect. She was ready. Go to Titan now, she commands again. Shields down to 50%, Rigel says. Navigation still offline. She plugs the coordinates to the target site into the computer manually. 78 degrees north, 249 degrees west. Initiate emergency landing procedures. Initiating emergency landing procedures. She was ready. But right now, as the single-person spacecraft plummets toward Titan, she wonders if she made the biggest mistake of her life. Did she come on this mission to discover something or prove something? Maybe both. But why? Why this constant need to prove herself? Why couldn't she escape the long shadow of feeling less than, inferior, the feeling that no matter how high she climbs in her career, she'll always be looked down on, a speck of a speck of a speck in space-time and the eyes of society, and that the slightest misstep will cause irreparable damage, not just to her life, but the lives of others like her? Who can live in those conditions under that kind of pressure? The nitrogen-rich Tholen haze wouldn't break her fall. The dense methane shroud of clouds wouldn't break her fall. Nothing would break her fall, save the moon's freezing surface. She pictures herself outside herself, like a methane droplet in a chemical downpour, falling in a tragically slow descent toward the north polar region. Falling. I want to make an impact, she said. Why can't you understand that? What I understand is you going through a lot right now, Dave said. This was the night after Grandma's funeral, at Grandma's house, as they were packing up Grandma's belongings. Come on now, let's be serious. Falling. I'm dead serious. How are you talking about going to space and your Grandma's body not even cold yet? This is my chance to do something that matters. Falling. Oh, so this don't matter. He moved his right hand in circles, like tracing an orbit, referring to him, her, and sleeping baby train. We don't matter. She was about to say, that's not what I meant. But right then, 
her eyes caught something in one of Grandma's sweet grass baskets. It was the box. She snuck outside to peek at her childhood in private. On the porch, in the warm solitude of the starry night, as male crickets called out for mates, she opened the box, and inside, all those colorful knockers, all those small worlds were still clustered together, though much smaller than she remembered. With her thumb and index finger, she held the orange one up to the clear new moon sky. Falling. The screen door creaked open behind her. Dave stepped out, train resting on his chest. He kept silent for a moment, observing. And when he did speak, his voice trembled, his words drifting out on the wavering wings of a half-whisper. Listen, baby, I understand you want to go exploring. See what else is out there. I know you hate being boxed in. You've been saying that since day one. He took a step forward, gazing up at the sky with her. Now you tell me you want to go to outer space to see if some moon can sustain human life. But here's a human life right here, he said, his long fingers on Train's spine, like how he used to hold his sacks. Ain't she worth sustaining? The question echoes, as if it came straight from the mouth of Lygia Mari, which lies below her now, wide open and ready to devour Titan's first human trespasser. In the seconds before splashdown, she watches Train, growing up so fast, bigger and bigger by the day, walking, talking, asking questions, learning to read, about to turn five, losing her baby teeth, printing her first bot buddy, wanting her own space her own space. A little girl on the porch, looking up at the stars. Where are you, Mommy? She calls out into the big black yonder. But this little girl isn't trained. It's her. Dr. Jenkins, in stretched pigtails and bright knockers. A little girl who actually believed prayer could bring her battered mother back home. Ain't she worth sustaining? That little girl, now grown, jolts as the damaged ship smacks belly first into the still lake. She opens her eyes as Orion II converts into a hovercraft, floating. We've arrived on Titan, Dr. Jenkins, Rigel says. Connect to the bioport for me to check for any injuries you may have sustained. Give me a second, she breathes deeply to slow her heart rate. Five-second inhale, five-second exhale. Do you hear something like a hum? Systems currently in standby mode for damage assessment and repair protocols. No, not, not in here, she says. I'm going out. Dr. Jenkins, for your safety, it is advised that you first connect to the bioport for me to check for any injuries. I'll be right back. And moments later, she is outside the spacecraft, looking over the vast landscape that stretches out past the lake's edge where the subdued terrain then takes over, saturated in a hazy sepia tent, something out of a dream, a deathly cold dream, negative 180 degrees Celsius cold, her only shield against the elements, the smart skin suit compressed to her body, a banged-up body with bruised muscles and potentially internal bleeding that would deter anybody else, but not Dr. Jenkins. Below her, Lygia Mare is still once again, like a mysteriously murky sheet of glass, 
What unknown creatures could be lurking in the deep? How many invisible hands might reach out to touch her, grab her, pull her under? She replaces those thoughts with thoughts of her mother and jumps. She knew the viscosity of liquid methane was about a tenth that of liquid water, but the airy feeling catches her aching body off guard. She struggles to make her way, less swimming than gliding, to the shallows of the northwest shore, crawling out of the lake and onto the land. The surface feels somewhat solid, not all the way stable, like slush. She looks around to get her bearings, and when she does, she sees it, right there, right in front of her, the footprints. She drags her wounded self forward and puts her gloved hand in the first indentation, deeper than originally estimated. When she touches it, she hears that hum once again, a familiar voice like rolling thunder humming way beyond the moon, the looping soundtrack to those muggy Carolina summers, the song that helped Grandma survive and thrive like other songs did for so many before her and led Dr. Jenkins to being inevitably here, now. She clutches her belly, buckles over in utter agony, her helmet hitting the frosty ground, thinking about Grandma and her stories and Dave and his sacks, how truth, like space-time, is relative and the beliefs we hold on to, the beliefs that keep us alive, cannot, consequently, be lies. That thought gives her the strength to lift herself to stand and start sort of walking. But she falls down, not used to the gravity being 14% what it is on Earth. She stands again, and the atmospheric pressure pushes against her, which feels like walking in a swimming pool. But she staggers on, following the marked path, one excruciating leap at a time. As she goes on, she discovers a different tune, a fact she can't prove, but a truth that can't be denied. Dr. Charlene Jenkins does believe in giants. She was raised by one. And as she comes to the end of the single-file footprints, she collapses on her knees and lifts her head. And the sight suddenly steals from her any semblance of speech, as if the same force beckoning the billions of rocks and ice and dust to bear witness to Saturn has seized the bulk of her words as well. And the sacred few she managed to salvage can be neither spoken nor swallowed, for they remain stuck in her throat, forming a lump as her eyes grow wider, wider, filling up with all the wonder in the world. Hear those engines roar, rumbling. Feel those fires burn, blasting off, blasting off, blasting off, blasting off. Step back. Hear those engines roar, rumbling. Feel those fires burn. At a loss, at a loss, at a loss, at a loss. Welcome back. You've been listening to Janina Edwards reading Giant Steps by Russell Nichols. We hope you enjoyed it. If so, please help spread the word by leaving a review or rating at iTunes or the social media venue of your choice. 
Our editor is John Joseph Adams, and this podcast is copyright 2020 by Lightspeed Magazine. As a listener to this podcast, you know that we publish it and most of the rest of our content for free online. If you don't already support our Hugo Award-winning journal, please consider checking out our many options, including ebook subscriptions and recurring patronage via Patreon at lightspeedmagazine.com support. Lightspeed is sponsored this month by John Joseph Adams Books, a science fiction fantasy imprint of Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, whose current feature title is Chosen Ones, the first novel for adults by number one New York Times bestselling author Veronica Roth. The book will be available April 7th. Skyboat Media, the most respected independent audio production team on the West Coast, produces the stories for this podcast. They are headed by the Audi and Grammy Award-winning narrators Stefan Rudnicki and Gabrielle DeCure. Be sure to check out their website at skyboatmedia.com. Post-production was by yours truly. Our music and sound logos were composed and performed by Jack Kincaid. Thanks for listening. That's all for now. See you on the Bitstream. I'm Jim Freund wishing you cheers from all of us at Lightspeed. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.